Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, uh, back from a bit of a hiatus, uh, trying to get some life things straightened out on my end. But uh, joining us today is from uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. This man has served alongside John Eldridge since before the inception of Wild at Heart almost two decades ago originally developing and directing the retreats and conferences. He now serves as a speaker, teacher, and director of strategy. He's married to an extraordinary woman, Sherry, and finds great joy in adventuring with his son, Joshua, and his daughter, Abigail. When he's not with family or on Michigan mission, he is most often found on expeditions in the mountains of Colorado. Joining me for this episode of the Discovering Masculinity podcast is Mr. Morgan Snyder. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks again for uh, for making this happen, and uh, I'm I'm glad we were finally able to uh, to connect. John, thank you. Yeah, it's a real honor to be with you. I'm excited and intrigued by where God might take us today. And uh, not too many people in my world call me Mister. I guess except for the teenage friends of my teenagers, and wow. that's usually when they're trying to get something from me or they're in trouble. So uh, yeah, we'll stick with Morgan. Well, but great okay. to be with you. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The old <laughs> saying is uh, uh, nobody calls me. Um, I don't call anybody Mister except my dad. I think is is one of the the sayings. That's that I've great. Heard on that. so, that's great. Um, but uh, Morgan is the author of the book Becoming a King. Uh, the path to restoring the heart of a man. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, in the next segment. But uh, Morgan, leading off the uh, first question that I ask everyone on the podcast is this. Uh, what does it mean to be a man in the 21st century in the Western world? To you, what does, uh, what does masculinity look like in this day and age? Mm, man, John, that's a, that's a deep question to start with. It's an intriguing question. It's an essential question. Uh, you know, the first story that comes to mind. So I was a YMCA day camp uh, counselor years ago when I was a young man. And I had this lovely young eight-year-old, um, very overweight African-American boy that was entrusted to my care. And the story is coming back. I don't think I've ever shared this story. But we were doing introductions and he comes in kind of swaggering this little chubby eight-year-old and everyone's supposed to give their name well he stood up when it was his turn and he said i'm a man and i said well sir um what makes you a man and he said i'm a man because i watch tv without my shirt on <laughs> wow so that's all it, it takes, huh? Right. So apparently in the in the world in which he lives, if a man, if a person watches TV without their shirt on, then it makes a man, right? But I think it's intriguing, um, John, that that story comes to my heart because we all have a belief 
about what it means to be a man. Something is operating and it's usually below our consciousness, right? It's something that we're often unaware of, but it drives us, it compels us. Often it shapes our lives because out of shame and fear, whatever it is we have defined as what it means to be a man, we're not measuring up. It's not me. It's not what I have. It's not what I've become. But I think that is the question that we must recover because the scriptures are clear that God created us in his image, male and female, he created us. So if it's true that our soul has a masculine imprint, that our soul will live forever and we will forever live as a man to answer this question in some ways, John, shapes everything else in our life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I, I can't add anything on to that, but, um, you know, kind of branching off into that, um, you, you talk about in the book, and, and you mentioned, um, I guess it was the, uh, I went to a retreat, uh, a while at Heart Boot Camp, uh, it was about a year, uh, February of 2020. And, uh, awesome. okay. you had, uh, you, you had given the, a talk, uh, about, uh, being made in, in his image, the, uh, the Imago day. Um, yes. yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about, about that and, and what, uh, um, what that means as far as us being, being human and, and how that, uh, connects us to God. Oh, it's so important. It's so important, John. I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, the most important thing you can know about any human being is that we bear the image of God. It's in there. He's in there. She's in there. And that's why this, this mission is so much of a recovery mission. Whatever you experience on the surface of any human being, often things aren't what they appear to be. And when we can recover the truth, the reality that every person is a masterpiece. Every person was formed and fashioned in the image of God, particularly as a man or as a woman in their fundamental being, then we can go on a path to partner with God in the restoration of all things. And every person has that general expression of God. And then the scriptures are so eloquent in inviting us to this journey of discovery that not only are we universally image bearers, but we are uniquely image bearers. It's like the snowflake or the fingerprint. Every person is utterly unique. And so there's this question that your question begs to answer, to say, who am I really? Who did God make me to be? It's the opposite of this kind of American mantra of you can be anything or anyone. Actually, that's simply not true. You can try and you'll fight bravely and die quickly. I mean, just look at the landscape of people around your world. Oh, yeah. The real treasure hunt is to recover God's intention for your life because to become who God uniquely made you to be expressed in very gender specific ways is the epicenter of joy, of fulfillment, of meaning, and of true relationship, relationship with ourself, with people, and with God. Great, great. Yeah, and one of the ways that uh, that we find that is through, uh, is through being initiated. Um, we, it's, 
Wild at Heart talks about it a lot is, is being initiated and grown in, in our own journey, in our own masculine journey, in our own, in, in, you know, for women in the, uh, in the journey to become uh, feminine and be, you know, find that image that God created us to be. So um, talk to us a little bit about your own, um, your own masculine journey, your own journey as a man and how God has initiated you and shaped you into to who you are today and, and how he's brought you closer into that, uh, that image that, uh, that he created. Yeah, John, you know, we, we've had some dialogue on a handful of questions that we were hoping to tackle in this call. And one of the other questions that um, you had proposed was, what is my story with God and kind of a testimony of how I've come to know God. And what's interesting is in my story, these two questions are one in the same. And it's really fascinating at 45, which I am now, compared to 18 years old, I, I would have never even associated those two things. Right. But now they are synonymous. There's, they literally have become inseparable journeys, which is really fascinating. I've not ever really looked back in hindsight and seen my masculine initiation completely woven into my story of coming into relationship with God. So backing up, um, I grew up in a home, a loving home with two parents, but my dad was very absent. He was a physician. He grew up in severe poverty. And out of that poverty, he, he really sought the mission to provide financially for his family. And so the consequence was he became a, a doctor and, and he was very well known and yet not available emotionally, physically with his time. <clears throat> and there was, there was an ache. <clears throat> and I was searching for life and for love and for what now I know was God. And I didn't have that. And I had built a life apart from God and it was a house of cards and outside it was super successful. You know, I, I, I really unpacked this in my book of becoming a king, but I had won the world and lost my soul. And I found myself at the end of high school um, with a reckoning. I looked in the mirror and I saw what felt like a man without a soul. It's, it's the scripture where Jesus says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. I, I had won the game. Yeah. The Barbie doll girlfriend, student government president, president for five years, 4.23 GPA. I won the game. And I had done it out of the self-life. And so I went on a search to find God. And what I didn't know was God was, it was hunting me. I was the one that was being sought after. And so I came into a very strong, confident relationship with God. It was a radical conversion of sorts. But John, I think the most important thing to share in this space was um, there were parts of me that were still a boy inside a man. So biologically, I'm becoming a man, but inside I still feel like a boy. And so much of that was in the area of masculinity. I was becoming a Christian, a life in God, but there was very um, little direction. And what does that mean to be a man of God? And what do I do with these unfinished places in me, these uninitiated places that feel like a boy and are, are making my world um, not work so well? And so the journey of masculine initiation was beginning to seek out God through older men, try to find men who I trust, who I respect, who I esteem in any given way, 
and start trying to ask questions and and consent to what now I know is an ancient path that's been recovered. And over the years, God led me west to Colorado. And for me, the context was outdoor uh, wilderness adventure. I became a bow hunter and a fly fisherman. And it was a context where I was initiated as a man and fathered as a son by God through mostly older men. And so much of my masculine initiation was healing the different parts of me that were still a boy that had never gone through a shepherded process of masculine initiation into wholehearted maturity. And so I find myself now at 45, married with two young kids, and I'm not who I was, but I'm still under renovation. I'm still, I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I'm not yet, but I'm not who I was. And what I now see is all of life, the, the frame, the interpretation is God shepherding my masculine initiation so I can become wholehearted and live out of a whole heart that walks truly out of union with God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. That's, and I think, uh, you know, we're, we're all, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this phrase is that, you know, we're all works in progress, at least on, on this side of heaven. and, And that won't be, you know, the work won't be complete until, either we, you know, we, we go to heaven or, or, or Jesus comes back. Um, and so maybe someone who hearing that message, you know, realizes, oh, I, I, I need to find that initiation and find that, that way of becoming wholehearted. What, uh, what would you recommend that, that they do seek out older men or maybe wiser men or, uh, what, what type of, uh, of a journey should they, should they go on? What should they seek out? Yeah, the, um, it's a very vulnerable question. And what I mean by that is we're getting closer to the epicenter of the masculine experience. As soon as we touch on this unfathered place, the orphan in most of us, me included, rises up, right? right. It's like that observation, John, when you look at someone's life and you just ask them, where do you feel behind? Mm-hmm. Just start there. Yeah. Where do you feel behind? And and you start doing an inventory. I'm just curious for you, John. Is there anywhere you oh. feel behind? Uh, several areas, actually. Um, you know, just being for the sake of vulnerability, um, I feel, you know, I feel kind of behind in in my in my dating life. I mean, I I've been, you know, I've been single for very long time. Um, I could count the number of girl, actual girlfriends that I've had in my life on one hand. Um, and that's not meant to be any type of affront to, uh, to, to women or anything, but uh, I mean, that's just kind of the, where I feel behind. I'm, you know, close, close, close to your age. I'm not quite 40 yet, but, uh, you know, there's that pressure and that ache to want to be able to settle down and start start my own family. That's the, I'd say that's probably the, the biggest spot right now, uh, for me where I kind of feel behind, um, career and, and, and fine and financially, I've, I've still got a lot of work to do there. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm better off in the career space than, than I had been, but, uh, you know, up until, you know, 90 days ago, that was, uh, that was a bit of, a um, an area where I wanted to make more progress and, um, you know, uh, financially, I'm not, 
you know, I'm, I'm not ready for not ready for retirement. Thankfully, I've got some more years, but uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of ground to make up in that space too. So just for the, you know, for the sake of vulnerability, those are probably the three biggest areas where I feel behind myself. Yeah, John, first of all, I'm just so proud of you for being willing to be vulnerable, like well done, way, Thank you. way to model discovering masculinity, way to model the gold of what we're after. It takes a lot of courage to name those things. And I'm going to take a big guess that you are not alone, that a lot yeah. of our listeners are feeling shrinkage, right? They're feeling a tightening in their chest, some pucker factor. You notice how quickly you're able to name career, money, right? The woman, right? Yeah. And an intimate relationship. And yet I also see your confidence to risk in engaging those frontiers. Right, like that's where masculine initiation really becomes so intimate and so beautiful. Um, I too have a lot of frontiers, and you know, this morning um, I was talking to my wife, and I'm officiating a wedding in two days. Oh, great. and she came in, and uh, it's a dear friend, and I was sitting there feeling behind feeling lacking, feeling unequipped of how do I stand as an authority on marriage when here I am with my wife navigating some really tough waters. Mm -hmm. And it felt I could feel on some level an orphaned place within me. And also I could feel part of me that has been made whole looking at my wife going, wow, we have fought bravely for 20 years and we have a marriage that's worth admiring. We have a sex life that is is really um, filled with love. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is this is the frontier, right? Where there's always a frontier in masculine initiation. And so we, we immediately when you ask the question, we're stepping into vulnerable places. And I would invite men to start with the pain, start with the ache, start with what's not working, start with what where do I feel behind? And then the risk is what if God is a father that wants to offer abundance in the place where we feel lack? He's a father that wants to infuse us with courage and care where we feel fear and isolation. What if our father is actually orchestrating a path and process of initiation and he's waiting for us to respond? What if it's generous? What if it's very personal? And what if that's the major theme of our life below the finances, or maybe I'll even say through the finances, mm, through yeah. the career, through the dating relationships, or in my case, through the marriage or through officiating this, this wedding this weekend? What if that's exactly where God wants to meet us is just the next step in becoming a wholehearted man. And that's the brilliance of masculine initiation. It's always present moment. And there's always a next opportunity to step back on the narrow road that leads to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it's often, I've, I've seen it in so many times that God will do his greatest work in you through your, you know, through your greatest pain. Um, and that's, I, I've seen it in the lives of so many men that I admire that, that through their, through their greatest wounding, through their greatest pain, that, that God's done the greatest work in, in them. Um, Isn't that amazing? And that's the way of the kingdom, right? We're, we're, we're not 
inventing something new. We are recovering ancient treasures. We're not the first to recover the path of life. We won't be the last, right? Chesterton says every generation loses the gospel and every generation is charged with its recovery. And here's a fascinating way I see this play out. John is in so many men that I've had the privilege of walking with and mentoring over the last two decades. I observe that men who choose to consent to God, to risk unlearning ways they have perhaps learned God wrong and engage in this frontier of masculine initiation and step into wholeheartedness, they truly see their pain transformed and they begin teaching a decade down the road out of that place where they had their deepest questions, their deepest brokenness, that actually becomes their source of strength. And people see that the story is God's prevailing goodness. The story is victory, breakthrough, healing, restoration, freedom. And that's where it's God at work through us. It's not us in and of ourselves, but it's us partnering with God to demonstrate what happens when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven? And so there's so much hope in the recovery of the masculine soul. And that's what we're after, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, discovering the masculine soul and, and recovering it and restoring it. That's that's what that's what we need in, in this day and age. That's one of the reasons that this podcast exists is to to find that and discover it and, and restore it uh, because we need we need strong and wholehearted men now more than, than we ever have in human history. And, um, that's, uh, and, you know, I, I just wanted to publicly thank you and, and thank wild at heart for, uh, not just helping me with this podcast, but just being, you know, being one of those, uh, places that, that seeks out that restoration in the masculine soul for, for people around the world, not just me and, and my audience, but, but just, all over the world that, uh, that the works that, that you have done. Um, I want to ask real quickly, um, I want to talk, talk to you about your experience at, uh, at Wild at Heart and what that journey has, has been like. Um, the, and just the importance of, I, we've kind of touched on it earlier, but the importance of being around uh, men and women like that who are, who are on that journey to becoming fully alive and, and wholehearted. Yeah, that, that is just so vital. It's so essential. Uh, you know, it's been said we become um, the three people that we spend our most time with, right? We become them. We become like them. And there's some kind of natural attribute of the kingdom of God where forgiveness begets forgiveness and joy begets joy, right? Love begets love. It, it beckons something from within. There was a football player on my son's team. My son's 16, and he plays uh, on a small high school football team. And there was this short, very overweight, wonderfully awkward freshman who has never said a word, uh, Joshua t told me on in practice, he's literally never heard him say a word. Hmm. And he got to dress, he was JV player, but he got to dress for varsity because it was last game of the season and never got a snap. And he yelled so loud the whole game, cheering for his nice. team, he literally lost his voice. Well, the seniors were so fired up at the strength of this little awkward kid. And, and by God's grace, it, it was, it was a, like a blowout mm -hmm. enough that at 49-0, they put in all the freshmen. And go. so he yeah. gets 
two snaps in a varsity game. And he lunges off the line as a nose tackle, mm-hmm. takes two steps with everything he has, and, and, he's, and he's spent. And he has another snap, and he's spent. And he taps himself out after two plays. Yep. Well, at the end of the game, the, the team normally shakes hands, and then the team all runs towards the, the, the sideline of, of parents and coaches, right? Yeah. Well, the seniors lifted this young boy on their shoulders and carried him off the field. And I'm getting emotional right now, just remembering the story. It was literally the Rudy story, but this wasn't a movie. This was real life. This was the real thing. His courage called out the courage in the seniors. His joy called out their joy. And the reason why I share that story is when you ask about my life with John and these other men, it's a story of lending my strength that calls out other people's strength as they lend out their strength that calls out my strength. It's reciprocity where everyone's a teacher and everyone's a student where we've chosen to, I I use the phrase, keep my side of the street clean. In other Mm -hmm. words, focusing on becoming the kind of man who someone else wants to be friends with. See, that's the magic. We spend yeah. all this energy going, where are the good guys? Where are the men that we can lock shields? Like, where, where's the fellowship? Oh, if I could just spend time with John Eldridge or Morgan Snyder, that's not the magic. It's Imago Day. Every man is extraordinary. Yeah. It, Jesus seems to determine it on thirst. He goes after the thirsty ones. If you want real friendship, the question shifts to how do I become the kind of man that someone else very much wants to have a close and intimate brotherhood where we share a mission and a context and a friendship. And so we have fought together, John and I, for 22 years. God put our paths together, but we've chosen love, love for each other, forgiveness for each other, mutual sacrifice, mutual advocacy. And God has swept us into a much larger story around the globe of healing the brokenhearted and setting the captives free. And that launched Wild at Heart. John authored the book, and then he invited me to come shape the mission with him as we started the Wild at Heart boot camps that you attended. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we've now had the privilege of hosting those around the world, but we do the blogs and the podcasts and the videos and become good soil which I oversee is our deeper discipleship track. It all flows out of friendship and brotherhood, people that have deep love and affection and forgiveness for each other. But but John, the life that I want, I simply could not have without genuine, authentic, masculine friendship. Amen, amen. That's. That's great. Well, uh, that's a great uh, a great point to take our, our first break on. Uh, he is Morgan Snyder with Wild at Heart, author of Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man. We'll talk a little bit about that in the next segment, talk a little bit more about becoming good soil in the next segment. I am John Waltz, and this is the Discovering Masculinity podcast. We'll be right back.
Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all books and materials that are referenced during the Discovering Masculinity podcast will have links in the show notes so that you can get a hold of some goodness for your mind and your heart and your soul and help you grow in your masculine journey. Welcome back to the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, just south of the Music City. And joining me via Zoom in Colorado Springs is Morgan Snyder. Uh, Morgan, uh, we were we were mentioning uh, before the break that you're over um, becoming good soil, that that part of, uh, of the Wild at Heart ministry. So tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, the aspects surrounding that. And uh, I guess, um, you know, we use a phrase in the business world, the uh, the elevator pitch. So just give us a quick synopsis in the elevator pitch of what uh, becoming good soil is and uh, take it away from there. Yeah, Become Good Soil is really the deep um, apprenticeship track of Wild at Heart. Our mission is to reach the many to find the few. And what we observe, John, in the work of Jesus, it's always a few. It's always on the fringes. It's far more barbarian than it is bureaucratic. And it's always a ragtag, ragamuffin group of people that absolutely say yes with their whole heart and are empowered and swept up into a great and noble mission. And so that's what Become Good Soil is about. It's the slow and steady path and process of how do we become the kind of students, the kind of sons, the kind of warriors, and the kind of kings in whom God is absolutely glad to entrust the care of his kingdom. It's excavation over building. It's slow and steady over quick, easy, and cheap. It's the long, narrow road that leads to life as it was meant to be. And it's formed through my apprenticeship over 20 years. And it comes in the form of blogs and podcasts and events that we offer. But all of that is under the umbrella of becomegoodsoil.com. And it's my privilege to walk deeper with men who want to shape um, the next generation to bring the kingdom of God. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, great stuff. I'll have a, a link to that in the uh, in the show notes. Um, so it's uh, be, becomegoodsoil.com or is it becoming good? Yes. Soil? It'd be becomegoodsoil.com. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll, uh, links to that in the in the show notes and uh, highly recommend going and, and taking a look at that. Um, so uh, last year, uh, you released the book, uh, Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man. So um, let's dive into that a little bit. Tell us about uh, the genesis of the book and uh, when you were moved to write it. Uh, I know you had, you say in the book that it's just something that has been developing over the the many years that you've been, been with John and just the many years that God has been, uh, been shaping you as a man. So um, talk to us a little bit more about, uh, about becoming a king. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming a king is a message that 
um, just had such a privilege and honor to be entrusted with. I, I offer it in the form of a book and a video series and an in-depth study guide. And the, the reason being is it's really the fruit, the, the culmination of two decades of discipleship. It started when I was a very young man, thirsty and eager and asking big questions and also experiencing a lot of pain in my story of on the outside, things look pretty good, you know, a meaningful work and a, and a minivan and two young kids and a home. And, but inside there was fear and there was a sense of being behind and on my own. And so I started paying attention to these um, indicator lights, kind of the check engine light on the dashboard of my soul. Mm -hmm. And I realized there were things that weren't working. I didn't have the abundant life that seemed to be promised in the scriptures. And I knew it had something to do with my masculine soul. It had something to do with a sense of being unfathered. And I set my heart on pilgrimage. And I started asking older, wiser men, what, what, what is life? Where do we come from? Where do we go? What is the story? Where do we recover joy? What's the most important thing? I took these questions, John, and I turned to the oldest, wisest men. And over two years, it was some 75 men where I started receiving their counsel over a pint or a cigar or a, a walk or a letter in the mail from another country. Every man I respected, I asked. I'm a voracious asker and reader. And so I uh, curated and distilled these ancient truths. And what I found was an upside down kingdom. It's not as the world sees it. What I found was a rediscovery of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And where the world says build, the kingdom invites us to excavate. When the world says, um, you know, be anything you can be, the kingdom says, who did God create you to be? When the world says, make yourself first and most important, the kingdom says, take the lowest seat and die in order that you might live. I began recovering these ancient truths and over time, God made it impossible not to offer those. And so I began offering very intimate leadership retreats for young, like-hearted men. And we sat under wise guides and unpacked our stories and prayed healing, restoration, deliverance. And we began living this out over a decade with a peer group. And in the end, after two decades, God, did enough work in me that I'd become the kind of person he can trust with sharing that message with others. And the, the simple message of becoming a king is I feel like I've recovered a treasure, a lost treasure in the field. It's a secret that restores the heart of a man. And I want to share it with the thirsty few. And so that's what becoming a king's all about. Great. Yeah. And I highly recommend uh, picking up a copy of the book and, and reading it. I've I've been reading through it in preparation for uh, for our talk, and and uh, I just I, I love it. I get something new out of each each chapter, and and uh, it's just it's so great. I would put it right up there with uh, with every every one of uh, of John's books. I'm a huge fan of of uh, John Eldridge's works, but uh, I would put it right up there with uh, with what he's written. So uh, again, I'll I'll have a link to that in the uh, in the show notes as well. That's uh, becoming a king: the path to restoring the heart of a man. Um, so John, I'm curious. Uh, I know it puts you on the spot, but yes. I would just love to hear. Um, this is your podcast. Like one thing, uh, just thinking back to any reading of Becoming a King, and what's one thing that you felt like God was um, shining some light on and, and kind of recovering some treasure for you? Well, I feel like when I read the 
when I read the chapter on becoming a warrior, um, that was one that really spoke to me too. I, I've, it's been difficult for me to find, find that type of a cause that, uh, that the warrior in us, uh, wants to be a part of. And, um, part, that's one of the reasons that I started doing this podcast too, because the, the topic of men's issues and, and spirituality and, and, um, you know, discovering masculinity and what it really means to be a, a good man of God is, uh, uh, is something that I've been trying to, to find. And I feel like that's one, one of the things that, that God is calling me to, um, my personality type is the, uh, often called the, um, uh, the logistical, the logistical protector. Um, my Myers-Briggs is an, is an ISFJ, uh, which is one of the more rare types. But uh, again, it's that protector, provider, um, warrior type personality that uh, I feel like is ingrained into me. And uh, I didn't really, I haven't really, I, I've told this story to a few friends. I haven't told it on the, on the podcast here recently, but uh, um, there was a night back in, I believe it was in February. Um, I do uh, Uber Eats food delivery on the side uh, as, as a si supplemental income. And uh, I was particularly uh, mad at God that night and trying to listen to some uh, praise and worship music in my car and Snow's coming down in, in huge, huge thick flakes. It's that really wet snow that's coming down. And I'm sitting in my car and I, I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, like, like I'm at a hockey game or something. Like, I can listen to this music all night. I can declare that you're king and that you're, you're lord of my life, but that doesn't help me right now. That doesn't mm. help me put that doesn't put money in my bank account that doesn't get, that doesn't get, uh, a, I was kind of pining over a certain woman and like, this doesn't get her to change her mind about me. This doesn't, this like this, this doesn't help me. And I get this delivery to uh, another side of, of Nashville. So I've got some time to kind of sit and stew on it a little bit. And I get to this apartment complex that's in um, that's in Bellevue, which is in the west part of Nashville, kind of just north of Franklin, where I live. And um, I'm driving along through the the complex, and the snow stopped, but it's still really cold. And I look over to my left, and there's this man laying on the ground. And Morgan, he must have been. 350, 400 pounds. He was a yeah. very large, very obese man. And he had his dog with him. And I drive by and I look in the rearview mirror and I can kind of see him kind of flopping around on the ground a little bit. And I'm like, is he, it's like, is he playing with his dog? Like what's, what's going on here? And I keep looking and I was like, no, he's fallen and he can't get up. Like there's, so there's something wrong. Like he's not playing with his dog because his dog's just kind of sitting there looking at him like, okay, some, something's wrong here. And so I, I turn my car around. I stop, stop the delivery. I turn my car around and, and go back to, uh, to check on him because people were driving by and walking on the other side of the, 
of the road, you know, of the, of the parking lot there, just not doing anything. And I get to him and I ask him if he's okay. He says, he says, well, yeah. And so I get out of the car and, and stay with him and, and help him get back up and help him get to his feet and, you know, get him on his way. He was, he was fine. Um, but he had taken his dog off the sidewalk down to a part of the complex where they were doing some construction and he, uh, he had fallen down and couldn't, couldn't get back up. And, mm. um, uh, he said, well, I, you know, he, he said, I'll, I'll, I'm going to stick to the sidewalk, but you know, thanked me. And mm. I went on, finished the delivery and, and I got back in my car from dropping the food off. And I just felt God speaking to me, like the work that I'm doing in your heart, is far greater than anything that you could ever do with money. Mm. And just that, mm. just, you know, that, that feeling like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is the type of person that he made me to, made me to be, to be this type of protector and, and, and overseer and just someone who watches out and, and helps those who are, and, there are times that I don't feel like I'm in a huge position to, to help others in a dramatic way. But at the same time, that type of experience just, re, you know, restored in me, like this is, you know, you're, you're, you're that type of, uh, that type of a person you're, yes. you know, uh, sometimes I, you know, kind of feel like he talks to me as, as if I'm one of his knights or something, you know, along those lines and just, yes. um, just, so that, I mean, that's one of the ways that just becoming, finding that warrior heart in me and finding that cause and finding the, using that channel to find the, the way that I, uh, that I bear God's images has mm. been, has been powerful. John, it's a, a stunning story. I just commend your courage to be authentic with me in this moment and, and with listeners. Uh, I just want to stay in this moment for a bit and just those tears coming up. It just feels like an important part of your story as a man. Um, and I just want to be curious with you, you know, what we're talking about is um, God is a father that tends to every part of us. And what's so beautiful about the work of Jesus, he doesn't just come and save us for eternity. You know, Paul says we are saved and we are being saved. And so much of that work is Jesus actually coming to every part of us over time to heal the boy that has been hurt or misunderstood or simply missed. Um, th there's some tears coming up for you, and it feels like an important part of your story. And just while we have a minute together, just love to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to shine light John, what would you say those tears of that question mark in your soul of how old is that part within you that first felt the question, am I really a warrior? Am I really a protector? Do I really have what it takes? How, how old is that boy? Twelve or thirteen, 
I think and John, that, can you, yeah, keep going. I, I think the thing that I think back to is my experience with athletics in junior high and high school. Um, I was a lot like that, uh, that young boy that you were talking about uh, earlier in the, in the previous segment. Um, really kind of awkward athletically and then started to, to come into my own a little bit as I became, as I went through my high school athletics career. But um, so John, let's stay um, with the 12 year old boy, that 13 year old boy for a moment and go back to his age, go back to middle school, go back to wherever he was and even actually try to picture him and can you just take us there for a minute? Um, what What is he feeling and what are the messages that are coming to his soul in that space? Just uh, fear, fear and uncertainty. Um, mm -hmm. And the messages are that the huge messages that is that you can't that that you're not that you're you're not that that great of a you know of an of an athlete you're you're not that that strong or that fast it's it, it's there's there's so many that that are better than you and there's even kids that are younger that are that are better that that fill that role or that fill that that space so much better than than I than I do um, so John that that boy um you know, you can you can have part of your heart that's that's, you know, late 30s, 40s, that that's mature and well and in Christ. And then there's parts of us that get stuck because they haven't yet received Christ in a way where he can actually bring his life to heal that broken heart and actually his power to dismantle those sentences and those claims that were set against the boy. And so I just want to sit with the 12 year old, 13 year old John, um, little Johnny for a moment and just in all the awkwardness of those years. And, and I, and I see around him in this moment, John, the, the life of the Trinity, I see a father that actually is so proud of him. I actually see a father that is celebrating him. That scene I described of that amazing number 70 that the seniors put on his shoulders. I see the father actually lifting him up and saying, he's my favorite one, this one, this one's my favorite. And I see Jesus saying, I, I got you, that he is your defender, that he has made you perfect and that you are actually on time, that there is part of your story that actually was very assaulted to try to come against this boy, to shut down his calling, 
because so much of your vocation is actually an expression of the warrior protector. And that's why the Myers-Briggs, that's why the podcast, that you are a warrior and you are a protector and the enemy fears who you are and will become. And I see Jesus coming into that space warring on behalf of the 12-year-old and with your permission saying, would you allow me to silence your enemy? Would you invite me, John, to silence your enemy, to cut off these fiery darts, these messages, these accusations that have um, formed these agreements with lies in your soul that have tried to hinder your strength? Um, and, and, and this is so, the kingdom of God works on permission. You know, the one thing that God cannot do is choose for us. It's just so beautiful. He gives us what Pascal calls the dignity of causality. And so that 12-year-old has an invitation, and it's really his choice of if he wants to choose to receive Jesus in this particular manner to stand between his enemies and his soul and tend to the wounds. And John, do you feel like he's in a place to receive Jesus and his love and his compassion in this space? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus, we, we do ask that you would come, you would come to this 12 year old space that you would, you would stand with your fiery strength against these fiery darts, your fire, the fire love of God against the fiery flames of evil. And we stand together as one man on behalf of, of little Johnny and this 12-year-old boy saying, no, that Satan has no claims here. This is a son of God in whom you delight, God, whom you are entrusting a particular role in your kingdom. And so we forbid the enemy to trespass here. We say you, um, evil, have no claim over this young man. Ephesians says that you have the power, God, you and you alone to name us. We, we receive our name from you. You have first rights. And so we cancel every name that has been spoken over this young man that is not true. And we ask that you would break the agreements that have been made out of this wounded place. Jesus, the scriptures say you have come to heal the brokenhearted and to bring freedom for the captives. So Jesus, we're asking for you to tend to the boy. We're asking for you to heal his wounds in his soul, in his body, in John's mind in his thoughts and imagination, in his relationships. Jesus, your healing touch to this little boy. God, you would defend the defenseless places. The scriptures say that you will bend the bars of iron and you will save your children. And so God, this young place in John, we're asking that you would save him that you would heal him, that you would restore him into union with older John, that you would bring union, wholeheartedness, and healing. 
and John, as we're praying, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm getting a picture of the Holy Spirit, who is just the, the, the kindest, most joyful, compassionate guide and teacher that we'll ever have. And before this podcast recording, we had a privilege of just chatting a bit. And in your office is an antler that's hung in your wall. And in some ways, it feels out of place with the other um, different decorations you have. And you told a beautiful story many years ago and when you were working at the golf course there and in my sense is the holy spirit saying that that was actually appointed to you as part of your name that actually it was part of this bestowing validating dignifying that you are a warrior you know an antler is is a sign and expression is the warrior in creation those antlers are regrown every year and they're grown through testosterone and they're made to establish dominance and to fight in order that the strong genes that must prevail for the species to thrive will, will indeed prevail. And there's this beautiful blend of um, that, the, that the antler represents that is the warrior in the deer. And it's also in the rut, you know, with all of the male, female relating. And, and I believe that God gave you that antler and appointed it as part of bestowing, recovering your new name. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would shine your light for John, that as you heal this part of his soul and knit the 12 year old into older John, I pray that you would heal these wounds by the power of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would shine your light and show that what the enemy meant for evil, God, you are using for good. And that God names you the protector of the helpless, the defender of the defenseless. You are a warrior and you have become a warrior and you're fighting for the good, John. You're standing for the things that are good and true and beautiful. And that scene that you described in Nashville of that man, right? In that moment of rage, that that was the 12-year-old crying out. Do you see me? Am I loved? Am I provided for? Am I on my own? And I see the father saying, I'm showing you, son. That's me. This is who you are. That that was actually, you know, scriptures say we will entertain angels. And in scripture say when we give a cup of water to the least of my people, we give the cup of water to God. That literally by helping the helpless, by helping that obese man stand, you are demonstrating, you are enacting the restoration of all things, the bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the impact of the gospel. That's the fruit of masculine restoration. That's who you are. And that's what God's up to. And so we bless this part of you, John. We bless the 13-year-old, the 12-year-old. We ask that he would come and receive a gift from his father, that he would step into freedom, that in the darkness there would be light, in the fear there would be courage, in the timidity there would be confidence that he would be fully healed and fully set free and that this part of your new name bestowed by the heart of God to you as his favorite son would be 
captured in heaven and would not be stolen or yielded in any way and in any measure. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you. That oh, was, it's beautiful. Uh, that was, beautiful. yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a, a great way that we can, uh, we can kind of end, a great note we can end on um, for, for now for this episode. Um, thanks again so much for joining me um, and for walking me through that. That uh, was, was much needed, much needed for sure. John, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be in the space. We are, we are the like-hearted. We are, we are going after the few, but the beauty is we become what we offer. And so your courage to go there, to model for your listeners, to take a risk and to receive this part of healing, it's, it's from this place that you will offer in, increasing strength and increasing care to your world. So it truly is my honor and privilege to, um, to go there with you. Thanks, thanks for, for jumping in and, and truly being all in with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he, is, he is Morgan Snyder, author of Becoming a King, The Path to Restoring the Heart of a Man. Uh, you can find him at uh, becomegoodsoil.com and uh, you can find more about him at wildatheart.org. Uh, Morgan, thanks again. Uh, I, I can't, uh, can't thank you and the team at Wild at Heart enough. Um, this is Discovering Masculinity and uh, I will talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.